Um, I have two hang-ups uh, in life. Well, I probably have a few more than two hang-ups, but uh, one of them's irrational and one of them's completely rational. So just for a few minutes, I want to talk about my rational and irrational hang-ups. First, my irrational hang-up. I probably shouldn't tell you this. I know I'm going to regret it, but I couldn't think of a better way of explaining it. My first is that I am absolutely scared stiff of cotton wool. Anybody else like that? Nobody. It's a, I don't think there's even a special word for it. You know like there's words for people who are afraid of closed spaces and spiders and heights. There's no word for this yet. But I have cotton woolitis or whatever it might be. I can't go near cotton wool. In fact, can you cope with the idea of like having it in your mouth? It's, I, I absolutely hate So three very evil women who I used to work with decided one day they would cover my entire office with cotton wool. I couldn't go in there for three days until I forced them to move the thing out. I absolutely hate cotton wool. And my other hang-up is community, which is a bit more serious. This is rational though. I don't like people generally, okay? In the sense of large groups of people. I'm just being really, really honest. Um, I saw this picture once. You know, like a picture sometimes can tell you everything just by looking at it, can't you? Here's some poor kid whose parents have decided he's going to be just like them. And uh, sometimes I feel like this kid sometimes when I think about community. So I want to talk about why I hate community. And I want to spend some time on this, just unpacking my reasons why I hate community. Uh, the first reason I hate community is I love, I love people like me. I love people like me. Now, when I first went to, came to America, I had to have this photo done by the church I was working with. This is my American photo. I spent six months trying to make sure this didn't get onto the internet because I knew the minute people saw it in England, they'd criticise me and laugh at me. So this is my, who likes that photograph? Exactly. <laughs> One person at the back. That's not me, is it? Okay. I am not this nice, clean-shaven, good-looking, <laughs> Thank you, Chris. <laughs> clean shaven. In fact, no, no, I'm not. Like, I'm clean shaven there. If you notice, I'm not clean shaven today. It's not because like, I thought I just wouldn't bother. It's because I'm not this organised person. I got up this morning and realised I'd run out of shaving stuff. So I'm not organised like this guy. I'm not clean shaven like this guy. And I realised that you know, when I came to America, see, I always used to think people were crazy. And then I moved to Texas. <laughs> and on my holidays, I go to California. And that's wacky, okay? There's some freaks out there. So when I think about, when I think about community, I think the problem with community is I have to be with people I wouldn't normally mix with, especially in church. Now, be honest with me. Would you spend time with the people who are around you right now if you had the choice? Yeah. Uh, would you? Yeah. You freaks. <laughs> right. Think about it. Look. No, look, think about it. Okay, right. Think about who you choose, maybe it's just me, okay? If I chose to spend time with people, okay, I'd spend them with, you know, people I think, men I think are funny, or women I think are pretty. So there's probably like three or four people here right now. You know, there's not many people, but the great thing is, no, the great thing, that's why I love Matthew Powell so much. He ticks both my boxes, okay? He's really, really, so. I wouldn't normally, I don't know, maybe it's just me, okay, but I think it's, with church is weird, you get forced to sit with people you wouldn't normally sit with, is that not true? Because like, this, no, no, is it not true? Hands up if you think I'm talking nonsense. Hands up if you think I'm talking the truth. Hands up if you think I'm talking the truth but you don't want to say. 
<laughs> Thank you. More hands for that one. Absolutely. I ha you see, I, I don't like community because I like people like me. Uh, second reason is I, I love independence. I don't know if you've ever heard this expression. An Englishman's home is his castle. Have you ever heard that? An Englishman's home is his castle. It's the way God made the chosen people. So we just like, this is where ideally I would live, all right? People wouldn't be allowed to come in without requesting six months in advance, all right? So in advance, they could put in a formal request and that would be heaven on earth for me, okay? Uh, I love the idea of an Englishman's house being his castle. In fact, in England, I'll let you into a secret, in England, because it's cold in England, when people overstay their welcome, like 15 or 20 minutes they've been in my house <laughs> then what I would do is I would turn off the electric heating and eventually get really cold and go in America that doesn't work I found however what we found out was that our AC hadn't worked for two years when we moved here we don't have AC in England and uh, yeah in England so when I moved here we didn't realize because the fan went going we didn't realize it didn't have any is that called Freon that stuff that makes it cold so I used to complain and they say, oh, it's really hot in your house. We say, well, the fan's on. Oh, no, it's really hot. And, uh, oh, I'm going to have to go. It's a bit too hot for me. And, that, you know, we never got it fixed for two years because there was no rush as far as I was concerned. All right? No rush to fix the AC. I know I'm a horrible person, but I'm just being honest, okay? So, for me, an Englishman's house is his castle. And I think that's a pretty good idea. See, when you live in a castle, one of the great things about living in a castle is you don't get people coming in to tell you things that you don't want to hear. And nobody can hurt you in a castle, can they? Nobody can say anything. Nobody can do anything to you when you live in a castle. An Englishman's home is a castle. There's only one problem with that castle. It doesn't have a moat. That's the only problem I can see. Third thing, the third thing is why I community is I love nature. I love nature. So this afternoon I'll be doing this, I'll be in a boat like this this afternoon on a lake and I will sense the presence of God more there on a mountain, more in a sea, more while I'm on a wave than I ever do in a community, especially in church. <gasps> That's horrible, isn't it? I'll feel God's presence more this afternoon on a Sunday afternoon than I do on a Sunday morning. Isn't that terrible? Now I'm talking about feeling, what I feel. So for me, I don't come to church to feel God because, to be honest, when I'm with any of you guys, it's church anyway, isn't it? But for me, it's about why, why community? What's the point? I could live in a castle. I could download my favourite preachers. I could kind of listen to the kind of worship music I like. And there's not a lot of that, but I could listen to the kind of worship music I like. If I wanted to feel God, I could go on a mountain. I could get on the waves. I could do something like that, I could feel God that kind of way. So, I don't know if I really like community, but I have a little bit of a problem. And the problem is summed up, somebody said you can sum up the gospel in two words. But God. But God. If you've got your Bibles, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to read four verses from chapter 2, so I'm going to skip a little bit, just for a sense of uh, keeping this concise. We're going to start at verse 4. It says this, Once, sorry, once we were not a people, sorry, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
verse 9 but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful lights once you would not receive mercy but now you have received mercy I want to talk about why God unfortunately for me loves community why God unfortunately for me absolutely loves community listen to this amazing I think this is an amazing passage of scripture it says this just before Peter says that it says this in 1 Peter 2 verse 4 once you were not a people but now you are the people of God Peter speaking to this community of different races different genders different ethnicity I'm amazed he even said that word and he said you were all different once you weren't a people but now you are a people now when I look around this room there's young people there's old people there's different types of people wearing different types of clothes there's people of different kind of races and what's perhaps one of the most amazing things about God is his ability through his spirit to blend us into one people. Do you not know, think that's fantastic? Do you not know, think it's amazing that God can blend an Englishman with an American? If you didn't believe in Amer miracles, you've got to believe in that. Some of my best friends now are Americans. I'd have never believed it. I'd have never believed it. But it is incredible. I really think it's absolutely special. I want to talk about this a little bit. How does God do that? And why does God do that? And what's so special about that? Why, why is it so important that we be part of a church? Why is it so important that as a church, we show ourselves as one people in our communities and our neighbourhood? Why, why should you even get involved in something like a house group, for instance? Because for me, naturally, I'd prefer not to naturally I'd prefer not to naturally I'd prefer to go home and just stay in my house and be with Lynn and the boys and just chill out with a couple of friends coming over every so often naturally that would be me naturally I don't particularly want to know my neighbours naturally they can do their own thing as long as they're not hurting me and I'm not hurting them absolutely fine naturally I'm not that interested so if I put myself first naturally I'm not going to get involved in a house group maybe that's your reason not to do it I don't know that's naturally what I would not do if people are too different from me if they're a lot older than me or if they're a lot younger than me or if they think differently from me then naturally I probably wouldn't get involved in that way I'm just being really honest now I know by the end of this you're going to think I can't believe Christian allowed Paul to preach when he's such a heathen and you'll probably be right but there you go <laughs> But naturally, I wouldn't do some of this stuff. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Somebody once asked Mother Teresa an interesting question. Actually, the question was kind of simple, but her answer was interesting. The question was, what's the biggest problem in the world today? Well, if you can guess what she said. What's the biggest problem in the world today? This is what she said. said the biggest problem in the world today the biggest problem with Christians in the world today is they draw the circle too small around themselves 
It's interesting, isn't it? Well, they draw, she's speaking to people like me. That she, they draw the circle of people around themselves. In other words, what they do is they, and this may not be you, this is more like me, they figure out the kind of people they want to be with. Uh, it could be their best friends. It could be people with the same interests as them. It might be their family. They get this small group of people and then they put in all the buffers they possibly can to protect that relationship. And they put in all these rules and regulations and, and they put all this space in and everything else. And then they say, okay, I'm going to just be with these people and now God you work. And of course there's 66 books in the Bible showing us that God can't work when we do stuff like that that we can't draw the circle too tight you know house groups and, and some of the home groups and stuff like that is an exercise in enlarging that circle and if you're like me you're going to find that difficult because there are so many reasons you can probably think of that you naturally would not like to do this Matthew 5 verse 46 says this if you love those who love you what reward will you get? And not even the tax collectors doing that. The message said, if all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anyone can do that. Matthew 5 verse 46, Jesus said, and if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Not even, do not even pagans do that? New Living Translation says, If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. The message says this, If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. So that's a challenge to me. Because I want to love the lovable, and I want to be with a certain group of people. I kind of like that idea. So this idea of a circle that's too small is a little bit difficult for me because I naturally would kind of hate community. You know, there's some weird things in the Bible sometimes that um, when you read them, and forgive me if I've ever mentioned this, but they always seem a little bit strange. Like, for instance, when the disciples go out and they're sharing amongst the Jews about Jesus and Jews are getting saved, at some point, after a while, the Gentiles, people like you and me, start getting saved as well and then not only do they get saved but they get filled with the spirit and they see it happening and they think oh my goodness what do we do about this it's not just us it's them it's not just us they're getting saved now what do we do about that so they get they go back to this council in Jerusalem and say hey what should we do what rules what regulations should we give these people who are getting saved and the answer comes back where well, we prayed about it and it feels right to us in the Holy Spirit and this tiny little list of you know keeping uh, keeping pure sexually and uh, and one or two small things and then this this bizarre thing and uh, not eating forbidden foods and when I read that a while back I thought that's a bit weird like if I had to make a list I'd, you know it doesn't say anything about not murdering it doesn't say anything about um, well so many other things bowing down to idols it doesn't mention so many other things I could think of why put in this weird thing you know, you shouldn't eat certain foods, especially on what, on what, if that's the case, why are we eating those foods now? I love a bit of bacon. In fact, Lynn promised me bacon, I didn't get it this morning, because of hospitality. I hate community. <laughs> so why, why is that? Well, it's dead simple, really. It's because 
the Gentiles couldn't sit down and have food with the Jews if they were still eating the things the Jews couldn't eat. So it was dead simple. The Gentiles are getting saved, so one of the rules we need to give them is we need to give them some boundaries in order that when they sit down with us, we can all have fellowship together. Because one of the most dynamic things in the early church, one of the most revolutionary things that happened in the early church was not the miracles, it was the fact that people would come and eat together from different races. That in this, this class-based system, the Roman system, that slaves didn't just have to have the crumbs of the food at breaking the bread from the bosses and the landowners and the centurion the centurions and the generals but the generals had to wait for their lowest servant if he was a Christian but the employer had to wait for the slave and they would all wait and they would all eat breaking the bread together proper kind of breaking the bread you know that kind of special meal that the Jews had. So incredible. There's something about community that glorifies God that no individual can do. No matter how radical your testimony, no matter how amazing your Christian life, you can't really do it on your own. There's something about a group. It's something about this incredible mixture of how God blends them together. Um, now, this is just me, Percy. So my campaign for years with churches has been that we don't, separate all the different groups off into little silos you know we have we have the, this little group of people and nobody they, they, they grew up through church at this age and they never mix with anybody else because i think we have to learn to be with different people of different ages because when we do and when we do it in fellowship and in love then god is massively blessed and god is massively glorified second reason i think is that God, so I love independence, you know, for me an Englishman is a home, is his castle, but God loves interdependence. In fact, when you think about it, sorry to show this kind of image, but it's not too gruesome, but when new life, when you were created, there was, an, there was, a, there was a, a coming together, wasn't there? There was a, 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 an impl a, a implementation into your life, there was two people who came together to create you that's how new life is created isn't it and you know what that's how new life is going to be created in you as well spiritually as well let me just show you something because uh, here's me okay or you can say here's you here's how god we have this thing called the kingdom patterns on pays and what we've realized is that what happens is that god sends in other people into our lives and how we react to that is really really important sometimes people have a small part in our lives some people have a huge part in our lives. And there's some important things to think about. Somebody once said that relationships are special, but relationships are spatial as well. And the way to be really happy and complete in life is to learn how to deal with relationships. People say money makes the world go round, but it doesn't really, does it? Relationship makes the world go round. Most of you know that. Relationship makes the world go round. So for some of us, one of the problems we have right now are the right people aren't having enough space in our lives and the wrong people have too much space. Some of you panic about that with your children, don't you? So you kind of understand this principle, yeah? So you're nodding. So for me, here's what I learned years ago. When I first, for instance, got involved in ministry, I had a pastor and uh, uh, he was a good friend of mine. He was a pastor 
And uh, I thought, oh wow, because he spent so much time with me. I thought, well, maybe that's what I am. I am a pastor. I think we can all agree right now that I would make a terrible pastor. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then I had another friend, and he wasn't a pastor. He was um, what's called an evangelist. So he spent most of his time going around, reaching people who weren't Christians, sharing the faith with them, and asking them to make Jesus Lord of their lives. And uh, he did a really good job. And I spent a long time with him. I used to go on the streets and preach with him on the streets. I used to go into schools and preach with him in schools. I used to go into pubs and preach with him in pubs. I, I used to go into tent crusades and do that. And after a while, I started to think to myself, well, maybe I'm an evangelist. And then I noticed that when he spoke and when I spoke, there was a completely different response. When he spoke, lots of people became Christians. When I spoke, a handful of people became Christians. He was anointed, he was an evangelist, I wasn't really that. And I had other friends, friends who were like teachers. And you know, sometimes when people come into your life, there's almost a problem, because either we hold people too far away, or sometimes we, we bring people too close. And one thing I've learned about this is, with everybody in our lives, we've got to work out what's them and not us, and which bit is the bit that God is trying to teach us. What part of these other people is the part that's supposed to help me? There are some people in life and they've not allowed others to affect them and they're kind of, if you like, at least in my language here, they're kind of dented people. There's a dent in them. You know, where they've not allowed certain people to say certain things to them. They've not allowed certain people to challenge them about certain areas of their life. Or maybe they've not allowed certain people to stretch them in an area and God doesn't just do this in church, God does this in community. In fact, you could replace that word me with Lake House Church. Couldn't you? Or any church really. Because the fact is for us to be whole, for us to really do what Jesus called us to do, we have to have more relationships than just the relationship with ourselves, don't we? Mm -hmm. Do you not think? Yeah. Jesus did, didn't he? In fact, let's just talk about Jesus for a moment. Because when you think about Jesus, and I don't know about you, but I kind of think about Jesus as kind of like just being complete. You know, like he came, and when he came from heaven, he knew exactly what to do, he knew how to do it, and he just walked around, kind of guided by the Holy Spirit, and everything he did was a thing that, I know I shouldn't do stuff like that, should I? But everything he did, like the Holy Spirit speak and teach him everything. But in actual fact, Jesus had people in his life that shaped the way he thought and taught as well. Some of them would surprise you, like the Pharisees. Sorry, I can't spell very well. Pharisees. He said to his disciples, didn't he? Jesus said to his disciples, do what the Pharisees teach. He just said, don't do what they do. But he did say to his disciples, do. So as far as religious laws, Jesus allowed the Pharisees to influence not just him, but his disciples. There was another guy called Hillel. Hillel lived, I'm sorry I can't spell very well, but Hillel lived about 30 years before Jesus. And many of the ways that Hillel, the techniques for teaching Jesus, adopted. So there are many things in the Bible, in fact there were seven methods of communication that Hillel used and in the Bible you read several that Jesus uses. So Jesus, even Jesus, is allowing other people to shape who he is.
question is, are we? Even with the way he set things up, the way he talks about community, there were a group of people called the Essenes or the Sons of Light, they were nick nicknames. And the Essenes said things like, talk about sharing their possessions. When Jesus talks about sharing his possessions, he's using the language of the Essenes. In fact, some people think John the Baptist had been an Essene because of so much of these guys' influence even in the way that Jesus did things. Why am I saying this? Because we as a community, we as Lake House Church, need to not think of ourselves as a complete unit on our own. And what house groups do is they allow us to step out of this group and they allow others to speak into us as well as us speaking into their lives. You know we've not got all the answers, don't you? Do you not know that? We're not perfect. We don't know how to perfectly communicate the gospel to everybody. We need to connect with those people. We need to listen to those people, even if we don't agree with them, and understand if we're really going to try and help. If we're really going to try and help. Jesus didn't go around just talking and speaking and presented. He had conversation with people, didn't he? We can't be Bubble Creek, can we, as a church? We have to allow, not simply, so sometimes we talk about this idea of outreach, which is true, but to truly outreach, we now, we need to allow other people to inreach into our lives. Does that make sense? Good. I like it when you're quiet. Me and Mark are very different, because Mark likes it when people say amen and stuff, doesn't he? He really likes that. I don't. I spend most of my time trying to preach to people without them realising I was preaching to them. So whenever, if you say amen to me, you're going to get abused, I'm sorry. It's just my natural reaction. So God, yeah, you've learned. Sherry <laughs> says, I've learned. Um, God loves what is not natural. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful, incredible, it's my word there, light. You know, God's building us. We're living stones, okay? We're alive and uh, to do that, God has to put one stone upon another, doesn't he? He has to build on people. Have you ever felt put on in church? Yeah? yeah? Have you ever like, had a responsibility in church? You know, like Lynn came this morning and she set up, she got things set up. And she never complains about it, she, she's totally happy. But do you know that, oh, she, my, my wife never complains about anything. But do you know like when you kind of like come in and you kind of like think to yourself, oh, you know, I've been asked to do this and I feel a bit put on. Be honest with me, how many of you felt put on before? Okay, just a handful of you are being honest with me, okay? Or maybe the rest of you are just much more better Christians than me. But sometimes I feel put on. But the fact is, that's how it should be. That's the point. We're living stones. And God's placing people on top of us, if you like. You know, you have a foundation and there are going to be weaker people. There could be other types of people that God is going to place and he's going to build you and he's going to build them with you. And there's a difference as God grows us. Let me show you this one little diagram. I like using diagrams because they tend to stick in people's minds. As God takes us from immaturity to maturity, he also takes us from rights to responsibility as well. You notice that? As God grows you, your rights become less 
and your responsibilities become more. Have you noticed that? If you've grown up, which I'm sure you know, most of us have done it, if you've grown up, you've noticed that you no longer have the rights. You know, if you're a parent, you can get angry and frustrated, but you, can't, you don't have the right anymore to be just moody, do you? And if you're a manager at work, you can't, we say this to our pays guys, you know, a team member may have the right to be moody, but you can't be moody as a team leader. And you've got to deal with that, haven't you? So as we grow, our rights become less, our responsibilities become greater. When we're immature, we can come late to church, we can just get involved when we want, we can just sit there and relax and not get involved and be entertained. But as we become more mature, we start thinking about our responsibility, our effect upon others, don't we? And I think this morning, the one thing I really kind of felt God put on my heart is this, is that God wants to mature us. He's chosen us, we're a people, he wants to mature us now and to mature us we have to lose some of our rights I have to put away childish things like well an Englishman's home is his castle well I want to be people with people just like me I have to lose some of those rights and I have to reach hold and grapple and try and grasp and it's difficult for me in those areas of community I have to grasp but grapple and grasp and take hold of the things that will make me mature as a Christian. Does that make sense? I've got to be honest, I'm going to struggle to kind of go back. Um, when we were in, this is the church that Lynn and I used to lead uh, years ago. Doesn't look much, does it? Looks pretty nasty. In fact, it just burned down recently. Some of you uh, and attacked it. And uh, when you look at the outside of the building, you think, well, what actually happens in there? That was the building we inherited. But it's difficult for me to go back to just a kind of like normal, non-community church. Because in Manchester, we saw a whole community impacted and changed so much so that the, the government of England gave us a reward for it, a financial reward, because of the impacts on the community. It's difficult for me it's difficult, hopefully, for you, if you've seen that, to go back to just playing church, isn't it? It would be hard for us just to go back to playing church, to think it's about just services and worship and listening to good teaching. For me, I want to keep growing as a Christian. I don't want to become immature. And my hope is this, that today, what you'll be thinking about as the Holy Spirit speaks to us, is how do we enlarge that circle? How do we grow? This Sunday night, that's what we're going to be thinking about doing. How can we love true community? 1 Peter 2, 4 says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God. And then he goes on to the things we've talked about. As we come to him, the closer you get to God, the more open your life will be for others, including, in fact, I would say, especially those who maybe don't know what you know. God is trying to grow us as a people and us as individuals. He's trying to widen, make the, the circle larger and larger. So I want to throw out a bit of a challenge to you uh, today. I want to throw out a challenge to you to, uh, and this is uh, one of those things I've been wrestling with, is, is will you make the effort to get to know your neighbour? Uh, will you reach out to the neighbour? So a lot of Christian teaching is about response, isn't it? Turn the other cheek if they hit you. Forgive if they do something to you. But I think the real gospel is about being proactive. The real gospel is about reaching out to people. 
So maybe it's, it's getting to know our, know our neighbours. Maybe it's getting signed up at a house group in order that we can connect with people and allow other people into our lives in order that we can bless them and we can help them as well. So I'll leave you with this last question I'm going to pray. I've told you my hang-ups, what are yours? I've told you my excuses, what are yours? I've told you my rational reasons for not drawing the circle, allowing the circle to widen, what are yours? And we bring them to Jesus today. Will you bring them before him? Will you submit them to him? Will you ask him to help you today so that we can be the kind of people that open our hearts up and open our lives and proactively reach out to people. Let's close our eyes and ask the Lord to help us today. Lord, you know that um, for each one of us uh, today, there are reasons, uh, some irrational and some <coughs> rational, why we struggle uh, with people. And uh, there are some people we'd rather spend time with than sometimes the people you put in our lives or surround us with. Lord, there are some of us who, Lord, you led us to the house that we're in right now. Lord, you, you gave us the job. Lord, we would say it's a miracle that you shaped it. You gave us the job that we're in now, that you put us in that office, you put us in that workplace. And Lord, Lord, we know that if you did it, you did it for a reason. It wasn't just for us. It was so we could be a blessing in that house to our community. It's so we could be a blessing in that office. So I pray, Lord, you would help us today. In your name we ask it, Lord. As we come closer to you, help us to come closer to those in our community as well. In the name of Jesus we ask it. Amen.